Today's our last day in our Colossians series. Uh, so we'll finish it up today. Next Sunday will be our Palm Sunday service. And then Easter Sunday, we start a new sermon series called Disciple Me. Um, it's going to be a fun sermon series because it's not going to be like, hey, how am I discipled? It's rather a sermon series on our vision as a church, our mission as a church. What is our process to disciple you? Uh, so we're gonna be walking through that. It's gonna be a, a good sermon series. You're not gonna wanna miss that. Uh, I don't know if you caught it while I was praying earlier, but I wanna make sure I said it. Uh, man, this summer, we're gonna be praying for our students. As uh, said, we're gonna be going to Africa, and, and we're excited how God's gonna use them. But then we're also this year doing a follow-up trip for adults. Uh, so if you are interested in that and you say, you know what, I have a heart to go and uh, work and share the good news of Christ today right after the service in the CLC, which is where you've been at, at church for the last several weeks, uh, there's going to be a meeting in there, so you should hopefully know how to get there. If not, uh, ask somebody and we'll help you get to the CLC. Just walk out of the building, take a left, and keep walking to the big, uh, big gym, all right? So that's where the meeting is going to be uh, for that. Colossians, uh, chapter four. As you're reading through Colossians and you get all the way through the book, man, this is this unbelievable truth that he continues to pass on to the people of God about making Jesus preeminent or the most important thing, central to everything we do. He's the our, kind of our main thing. And as you're reading through it, if you're not careful, you get to the end of it, you read chapter four, and it almost seems like, hmm, I read through the old chapter, I like a lot of it, but now here I am, chapter four, and he starts ending it with all this list of names of people that are getting ready to go and deliver messages. What does this mean for me? I've always heard that people will remember what you start with and what you finish with. So how he chooses to finish this letter is it actually seems almost kind of abrupt. It's a little bit different. We're gonna cover the, the whole section uh, today from verse two all the way to verse 18 of chapter four. And we're, I want you to remember for a moment why he wrote Colossians to begin with. The church had some problems, all right? They had some problems, they had some issues. Some of the issues that they were having were uh, they were adopting other religious practices. It was kind of like a build-a-bear theology. They're like, ah, I'll take this of God, I'll take this of God, I'll take this other, I'll take this other thing, we'll kind of make our own. So they were ultimately almost beginning to make their own faith built off what they wanted, and they were missing Jesus. And so he wanted to... Uh, write to them to make sure they were making Christ the center of everything. And, and then not only were they adopting these other religious practices, they were beginning to sink in with the culture. So they were beginning to blend in with the culture and the truths of Christ were not uh, flowing through them as, as a church. And so, um, man, thinking through all of these things and, and seeing how God is writing to them and how Christ should be the, the center of that. What I want to do this morning as we walk through verses uh, 2 through 18, I'm going to read a little bit, teach a little bit, read a little bit, teach a little bit. Uh, and so let's just start right there with verse 2 and, and let's dive right into it. Chapter 4, verse 2, he says this, Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with, with salt here. Let it be seasoned with salt so that you may also know how you should answer each person. 
He starts off by giving some wisdom to the church and then asking for some prayer. And here's how he guides us. First of all, he, he's writing in his last words about ultimately how we have a Christ-centered fellowship. How together is the family of God? How is Christ the center of it? And he's going to give you several ways. One, he's going to just point blank say it in the first section, and then he's going to display it in the latter section on how Christ is the center of our fellowship. The first one is this. He says, you want to have Christ-centered fellowship? Well, then one, focus on the mission. Focus on the mission. He begins to ask them, all right, hey, listen, I want prayer, and I want you to pray that the Word of God would be advanced. See, to be Christ-centered is, is to focus, uh, to be focused on His mission. The more we are Christ-centered, the more we focus on Jesus, then the more we'll focus on His mission. The more you fall in love with Jesus, the more you're going to love others like Jesus loved others. The more you're going to want to desire to reach others like Jesus desired to reach others. The closer we get to Christ, the closer we will get to his mission. For to know him is to know his mission. Now, there are so many things that can happen in our life that make us lose focus. Uh, yesterday, I uh, had our first t-ball game. First t-ball game of the season. I have a, a well, three-year-old, he turns four next week. Next Saturday, he'll be four years old. He's pretty pumped about that, all right? And then I have a, a five-year-old girl, and they're on the same team. And then both of my nieces are also on the same t-ball team. So I have like four of them, and I get to be the coach. It is awesome, all right? We're the Knights, and for about 45 minutes before the game, Luke had an absolute fit because he found out that the jersey was purple. <laughs> I did not pick purple. I'm not a purple person. He said, I want red because I'm a bulldog. I said, I've done something right. Anyway, we're having t-ball, and it's awesome. We're having fun. And, and here's what I notice about t-ball and having four of them and, and being out there is, is they have an attention span that'll last about 11 seconds. About 11 seconds. So here's what we do. All right, when their other team is up to bat and we're on defense, they put the ball on the tee. I say, all right, team, ready position. Boom. They're ready. And then they either hit the ball or they whiff. If they whiff, I say, stand up. They all stand up. And then immediately, they're looking into the sky, they're drawing pictures, they're picking flowers. They get ready to hit the ball again, ready position, poof, they're ready. And that last, they can be ready for about three or four seconds. That's the, that's the only attention span they've got. All right, I mean, one time, one of our, our pitcher, his shoe was untied, so I told the coach, hang on, and I guess he didn't hear me. I bent down and began to tie his shoe, and I looked up, and the coach is putting the ball on the tee, and the kid's getting ready to swing. I turn around and look, and the entire team is not paying attention at all, nobody. I mean, they're out here like this, outfielders are out there like wrestling and laughing or whatever, and I didn't get to tell them ready position. So my shortstop, who also happens to be my niece, is, is looking another way, she's talking to the third baseman, and this player rips the ball. I mean, the hardest hit the whole game happens to be the one time coach didn't get to say ready positions. The ball goes flying right to my niece's head. And if she would have stood up, it would have made contact but she wasn't paying attention. She was playing over and the ball flies right by her head. I mean, just that quick, when you're not focused on what you're supposed to be doing, it can be bad. How many of you have lost focus before? You've done something and you've lost focus. Uh, you've played, whether it's sports, sometimes it can just be in your job, in, in your home. You, you lose focus, you forgot what you were doing and, and next thing you know, man, there's trouble. He's writing to them that they would be a church and a people that were focused on the main thing. That they would be in ready position. 
they'd be alert. Let me give you a few ways that he reminds them or shows them that they can stay focused on the mission. First of all, he tells them to pray. He says, pray. Pray. First of all, he tells them, devote yourselves to pray. Devote yourselves to prayer. Let me ask you how your prayer life is going. Are you devoted to prayer? He starts by saying you should be a people who are devoted to this. The reality is that there are just some things that we're not going to get unless we're devoted in our prayer life. Notice here, he doesn't say, hey, work hard at this. or He used the word devotion. Look at that. Passionately make this a part of your life. Be devoted to it. Care, work, work hard in a way that it is an important part of your life as a body and as a people. I've said it now and I'll say it again. I believe in all of our heart there are some things that are only going to happen in the body of Christ if we pray. If we pray. We, we undervalue our prayer life. There are some things you're only going to hear from God when you stop to devote time to talk to Him. There are only some things we're going to accomplish on Sundays by how devoted we've asked and pleaded to the Lord. There are only some things you're going to hear from the sermon this morning based on how devoted you've been in your prayer life walking into it. I think of it sometimes like a, a kind of a, a, those old AM, FM radios. You know, now everything's digital. You just kind of like type it in and it goes right to your radio station. Remember you like had the antennas and you're like putting it right and you're like putting everything the best you can to hear your radio station and all of a sudden, boom, it works. See, for some of you, that antenna is your prayer life. And the Lord's trying to speak to you, but it's fuzzy and things aren't right because, well, your prayer life, you haven't been devoted rightly to it. He says, be devoted in this. Then he says, be watchful in it. And then he asks, would you also pray for us? Not only should you be devoted in prayer, but while you're praying, pray also for us that God would open a door to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Now he's not only saying you be devoted in prayer, but as you're being devoted in prayer, pray for me that God would give me opportunities. See, the Apostle Paul believed that there were only some opportunities that were gonna uh, make themselves available through the power of prayer. We should pray for opportunities. Let me ask you, how often are you praying for opportunities to share the good news of Christ for yourself and for others? I can tell you every single day, every day, it's a part of my prayer life. I pray, dear Lord, would you please today give the people of Shirley Hills opportunities to share the good news of the gospel? Lord, give us opportunities. Give us open doors. Now, I think this is interesting. Now, remember, the Apostle Paul is in jail. He's chained up. All right? He's in jail. He's chained up. He could be asking for anything for prayer. And listen what he prays. Listen how, what he, he says, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. Let me just ask you, if you were in jail, in chains, and you were asking for a door to be opened up, what door would you be asking to be opened up? Let's be honest, what would you be praying? Dear Lord, right now, would you church pray that the door of this jail cell would open up and I can get out of this place? Is that not what we would be praying? I mean, Lord God, open the door. Hey, before it send an angel to make me invisible, to open this door and get me out of here like you did in Acts. That's what we would be praying. Anybody? Are you with me? It's not what he's asking for prayer for. He's like, Lord, would you pray that you would open the most important door that there is? A door for an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Church, let me ask you, what opportunities are we praying for? Lord, would you give me opportunities for... I tell you, what, the opportunities that we're asking God for will show what's preeminent in our life. And he says, I want Christ to be preeminent. That I would be praying for his doors to open, not mine. N not for my comfort. Why, God, if, if you're advancing the gospel while I'm in jail, then keep me here. 
I'll never forget in China praying for the church. One time I prayed, and as I was in prayer, this translator was translating it, and it was in an underground church, and we prayed, God, I pray that you would release the persecution from the church in China, that they could advance the gospel. And in my prayer, they all started making noise. I leaned over to the translator, I'm like, what is it? He said, they, they said no. They didn't want the persecution to stop because the harder they were being persecuted, the more it was advancing the gospel. So they said, don't pray that the persecution would stop. Pray that the door of the gospel would keep and would remain open. What are you praying for? Are you praying for more comfort, an easier opportunity in your life? Or are you praying, dear God, would you give us opportunities for an open door to share the gospel? Some of you are going through difficult times now because it's gonna create an open door later for the advancement of the gospel. You're gonna be able to speak into situations and into people's life through your trials, through your difficulties, and you're gonna be able to share the gospel. He says, pray, devote yourselves to this. Pray for open opportunities, but then he also says, pray for obedience. Pray that I will make it known as I should. I love this. Out of all the things that the Lord really hit me with, this was an eye-opener for me. Listen how Paul says this. All right, pray that I should make it known. But he says, pray that I should make it known as I should. Paul said later in other times, God, I find myself doing the things that I shouldn't do and not doing the things that I should. How many of us know that we should share the good news of the gospel with people? All of us, like, yeah, yeah, that's us. You talk about it every Sunday. We got it. We know we're supposed to do that. We know the opportunity. But then Paul, the Apostle Paul, the one that God used to like plant all these New Testament churches, this evangelist, this preacher, this man that God has used in a mighty way. And he says, hey, pray not only that God would give me an opportunity, but pray that I'll be obedient. Means there were times where the Apostle Paul felt like he didn't share the gospel like he should. You know, I would bet the Apostle Paul felt like a lot of us today, that there are times that we've missed where we should share it. So God, let's not only pray, Lord, give us the opportunity, but God, give us the obedience to walk through the open doors when you give them to us. God, give us the opportunity to share. Are you making it known like you should? Uh, are there opportunities maybe that you're missing? He says pray. Not only he says pray, but he also says we should watch. We should watch. Look what he tells them as you're praying. Devote yourselves to prayer, verse 3, at the same time. All right, at the same time, he says, while you're doing this, devote yourselves to prayer. And he says, go on, and he says, pray for me that I may advance the gospel. But look what he says right before that. Pray, devote yourselves to prayer, stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Stay alert in your prayer. Stay focused. Stay alert. Stay, watch out. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you look at your bank account once a week? Man, y'all some, come on. You look at your bank account once a week, you're checking that bad boy. If not, then boy, we're better off than we should. Let's get an offering plate up in this place there. You check it, right? Some of you, honestly, how many of you check it once a day? Don't play. Once a day, you're like, that's right there. You know what? I just found out walking into the bank, all right? I'm one of those people, I like to park and actually walk into the bank and, you know, try to talk to the different people there. And I'm walking in and, and, uh, believe it or not, there's like nobody in line. And so I got like all three tellers at the same time. All three of them are right there and they said, did you know now, do you have the, our app on your phone? I'm like, yeah, I do. They said, did you know you can set up alerts on your app? I'm like, talk to me. I like alerts. What do these alerts do? They said, oh, you can set the alerts for like insufficient funds. I'm like, go and give it to me. Let me go ahead and get that. 
we all need to know when like the bank account is getting too low, right? Men, it'd be like bad. Your wife's going through the grocery line and she gets ready, got grocery full of things. She goes to swipe it. Whoa, you forgot to transfer money or do a certain thing. It'll set alerts. Do you know what else? It'll set alerts if, if uh, you are, you can set it for all the different alerts. You can get it to tell you anytime your debit card's used. Like anytime. I might go and show me how to do that one too. I want to know every time that card is swiped. Ladies, why are you laughing? You want to know why they do this? It's not just so we can have information. It's because they're trying to better equip you and I to know when someone steals our identity and they're stealing money that belongs in our account and they're taking it and putting it in theirs. So they're giving us alerts so that we can find out faster when people are stealing what belongs to us. What he is telling them in their prayer life is to be watchful because there's an evil one who's a liar. He's there to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take what belongs to you in Christ, all the riches of his glory. You know, Jesus didn't save us just to forgive us of our sins. He saved us to enjoy him, to walk with him. He wants to give us all the fullness of himself to us, and Satan don't like it. So he tells us as we're praying, be on alert. Be watchful in this. Man, I'm shocked in my own life how often in my spiritual ADHD-ness I can lose focus on the mission of God. Where Satan has crept in and caused me to lose focus because of, of this or that. And, and the reality is, it's because, well, I'm not in ready position. I don't have my spiritual alert set up where maybe my prayer life and my time in the Word and, and being around the community, it's a busy time because that's when he strikes, when things are busy, when things are chaotic, and he hits you in those weak moments. He says, be watchful, be watchful, all right? Like that gazelle that's out there and the lion, you know, it's prowling. What are they always doing? It's like the muskrat that's out there looking around. They, they pop their head up out of the hole all the time looking around. Why? Because they know that there's someone out there ready to devour them. Some of us today, you live life like there's no enemy, like there's no one trying to prevent the advancement of the mission of God. There is. Be watchful, he says. But then lastly, he tells us we should act in this. We should act. All right, it's not just for us to talk about, but there's something for us to do. Look in verse 5. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer the other person. If you want to have a really nice lawn, what does it take? I'll tell you what it takes, action. You've got to throw some weed and feed out there. You, there's times you got to aerate it, you got to cut your grass, you got to edge it. There's all these things that you don't just look at your neighbor's lawn and go, oh man, I sure wish our yard looked like their yard. You can't just wish for it. You have to actually act on it. You have to make a plan. Sometimes I feel like when we talk about the mission of God, we kind of are wishful talking. Oh, I sure wish people got saved. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to be the one to open my mouth and actually share the gospel with them, but I sure wish we'd see some people get saved. Man, I tell you what, I'd love to see a breakthrough. But then we think about the actions. I want to show you a few actions that he highlights. First of all, he says that we should act in wisdom. We should act in wisdom. Why? He says, act wisely toward outsiders making the most of your time. My mama used to tell me growing up, Jacob, it can take you a lifetime to build your reputation and you can ruin it in a second. You can spend all the, how many of y'all have heard that? You've said that. Students are going, yeah, my mama just told me that. Prom was last night. And so you're like, and so you throw the warning. All right, you, you can have this reputation that you've poured out and you've tried and you've developed and it takes one Facebook rant, one thing, and it, 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 can, it can 
tarnish that. It can mess it up. What he's telling us here, hey, be wise toward outsiders. Be wise in how we live toward outsiders, making the most use of our time. You see, an ounce of prevention is a lot better than a pound of cure. It's a whole lot better for us to say, God, give us wisdom on the front end to live wisely toward those who are outside the church than for the church to have to work hard to clean up our messes. You know right now that there is the largest ever in, in Southern Baptist recorded history, the largest ever amount of what they call the church unchurched. People who profess Jesus as Savior and Lord joined a local church, something happened within that church or within their life, and now they no longer go to church anywhere anymore. If you gave them a survey today, they would say, if I died, I'd go to heaven. No question. I place my faith and trust in Jesus. Well, do you affiliate with a local body of believers? Nope. Why? Why? Well, you know, something happened here or there. You talk to someone who visited a church, and, and they're just kind of interested in this Jesus thing. They're not really sure. Maybe you're here today. Like, you're kind of interested in following Christ, but you're not exactly sure where you're at. You're not a Christian. You would you'd say, no, that's not me yet, but I'm kind of interested and so our prayer is, like, as you're in that process, we sure hope as a church body that we love people and we're welcome and we're nice, right? I know where I want some of you guests to sit. You know what I'm saying? Like, sit around and say, but what would we not want to happen? Man, what happens if you have a, a, a bumper sticker on your car that says Shirley Hills Baptist Church and on the way out you cut somebody off and run them off and then you give them the inappropriate number one sign? What's that say? Some of you are like, you need to take your bumper sticker off. That's what that says. <laughs> no, don't change your bumper sticker. God, give us wisdom in how we act toward outsiders. We need to be mindful that when you are showing off to the person at the Kroger line who didn't give you the discount for 48 cent on your cucumber that you thought you should have got, and you're showing yourself lost people all around you, and the time you tried to share the gospel, our witness matters. So we ought to pray as we're alert in this, dear Lord, give us wisdom. Help us not to waste time being poor witnesses. Because then, when we are poor witnesses, it takes a whole lot of time to recover that ground. It wastes a lot of our time. Today, some of you, you're like, you know what, you're right, I need to go back and fix some messes that I've made. An ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. Lord, would you give us a heart that says, help us to live wisely toward outsiders. And then he goes and he builds on that. What is one of the ways that we can be most wise in loving those who are outside of Christ, those who don't know Him? Our language, how we use our mouth. Let your speech always. Man, there are some times that there are certain words in the Bible that, I, if I'm, on, I'm honest, I go into the Greek to check to see if it's really there. I want to know, is always really there? I mean, is it, is it according to the Scriptures? Am I going to be judged by God that I am always gracious in my language, is there a time you would think to not be gracious? I, let that just settle in for a second because the language actually says to let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt. So all the times that I have maybe used spiritual reasons to not be gracious, Jesus like, yeah, no, no. You can communicate the truth in love. That is grace. It is God's grace to communicate hard truths but in a gracious way. Let our speech be seasoned with salt. Man, let me, I just say one of the greatest things I could tell you in this is, especially in middle Georgia, everyone is related or connected to everybody in this town. 
don't talk about anybody. Just don't talk negatively about anybody to anyone. Because everybody knows somebody is connected to somebody. Let me give you an example. This happened twice this week. Somebody came into church this morning, our first service is, oh yeah, I was talking to somebody and they were like, yeah, I really want to get in touch with that pastor over there. I forget his last name. I had questions for him about a few things. I think his last name's Green. She goes, Whoop. what about him? And they started talking like, yeah, that's my pastor. And I started thinking, man, what if that person would have been like, yeah, I'll tell you what, I got a problem with that pastor over there. They just needed questions, but she knew him. They didn't know they knew me, but the first person said, hey, listen, I, I got some questions, and I, I, I'm not sure about this, and I heard about this, and we're talking about biblical theological stuff, and, and they said, oh, they let him go all the way through, and thankfully, it was like positive things, like, oh, okay, I was going to let you go all the way to hear what you had to say about Pastor Jacob Green before I told you he's my pastor. <laughs> thankfully, and this time, it was positive, but you don't know who knows somebody. You don't know who's connected to somebody, so let your speech be seasoned with salt. You don't know who you're loving on, encouraging, ministering to. So let your, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Hey, church members, in the body of Christ, we represent the King of kings and Lord of lords. We are his ambassadors. When we speak, we speak on behalf of the creator of the universe that people might know him and enjoy him forever. So be careful how we use our words. So as you're in your workplace, in your home, to your children, all these things, our words matter so we should pray and ask God help us to act to live out the gospel in a way that we are focused on the mission of God all of us all of us fall short in this amen we all need the grace of God to help us in this and labor so first of all he says hey focus on the mission secondly he's gonna show us now as an example of something else I believe is important to us and that is that we would serve with others serve with others Serve with others. I believe this is an important part because I think this is a way that we've accidentally failed in disciple making in a lot of ways over the last maybe 15 to 20 years is that we forget to serve with others. Paul understood a principle that stands just as true today as it did thousands of years ago. I mean, why do you think the Apostle Paul was so, uh, why do you think he accomplished so much? Some of you are like, well, man, he was just like extra spiritual. He was just so full of Jesus. Let me ask you, do you feel like the Apostle Paul has more of the Holy Spirit than we do today? No, he does not. He didn't get like an extra dose. You're like, well, the Spirit's all over him. He is anointed. Let me just go ahead and tell you right now. Every person in this place who have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you have been anointed by the Spirit of God. So you're like, man, they, that person just got God's anointing all over them. What you're saying is, I can see that they are following Jesus in the Spirit of God is, is working through their life. The Apostle Paul, why? Let me tell you one of, one of the reasons I believe he was so successful. Because he worked with others. The Apostle Paul, I want to encourage you to find a time where he did anything by himself. You will not find anywhere in the Bible, after he comes to know Christ... He goes into the wilderness for three years and is trained and equipped. And after that point, you are not going to find a single moment in his ministry where the Apostle Paul is by himself. He is always with other pastors, other leaders, training and equipping and walking with others. He served with others. Some of us, you have believed a lie that says, I can do more by myself than with others. I mean, let's just be honest. How many of you have thought, man, I could just, if I could just do this by myself, 
I could get this done better and faster and be more efficient. But you know what? The truth of the matter is, you might feel that way, but in the long run, it's not true. You see, he learned to serve with other people. Let me show you how he did this, all right? Go with me in verse seven. Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I've sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know how we are and so that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything. He starts off giving two examples of partners in the ministry, Tychicus and Onesimus. We can go into a lot here, but it's a simple question for you. Who are you partnering with to advance the gospel? See, some of you feel like you can't do it because you're trying to do it by yourself. But God didn't make us do it by ourselves. He didn't call us to do it by ourselves. He called us to serve with others. Who are you partnering with? Some of you are married and you're like, oh yeah, that's my wife. Like, I got them. So let me ask you then, who are y'all partnering with? If you're a married couple, if you're single, who are you partnering with? Who are you ministering together? If you're a guy, what other guys are you advancing the gospel with? If you're a young lady, what other ladies are you advancing the gospel with? How are together y'all focusing on the mission of God and are you serving with other people? We're just better when we're serving in community than doing it by ourselves. He had these partners that he ministered with, but then I wanna show you how this continues. Look in verse 10 with me. You see, not only did he have these partners in the ministry, but now he's gonna specifically share six names of people, and he's gonna show us, and I believe strategically, how the gospel broke down barriers and he was serving with people who were not just like him. Look in verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, who is Barnabas', Barnabas cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. Now, we know why they call him Justice, right? They're like, man, after Jesus, his came and lived, died, and rose from the dead, there ain't but one Jesus. We're going to start calling you Justice, okay? And so now they've got these three guys, but listen how it describes them. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. He labels them. Hey, I want you to know that there are these three guys, and they're Jewish followers of Christ. All right? They, they're of the circumcised. They're, they were Jews, and now they're followers of Jesus. And then now he's going to give you three more. Now these are going to be three Gentiles. Look with me in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in the prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify you testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Heriopolis. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas send you greetings. He gives you six people. So he wants to show you, I have two people that I partner with, but I also want you to know that I'm doing the work of the ministry with these six groups of people. Three of them are Jews and three of them are Gentiles. What he wants us to see is that the gospel breaks down every social political barrier that there is. And that not only should we be partnering with others, not only should we be serving with others, but we should be serving with others who are different than us. Let me say that again. We should be serving with others who are different than us. People who have different backgrounds, different life, different upbringings, different skin colors, different religious backgrounds. We should be showing the world that we're not making disciples like us. We are trying to make disciples who become like him. And Jesus came to die for the Jew and the Gentile, for the man and the woman. 
Jesus, during his time, he did more to break down the male domination pattern of lording than any other person. He begins to talk with women, minister with women, and men, and Jews, and Gentiles. He came to break down every barrier that there was. As a matter of fact, in just a moment, you're going to see that Paul's about to mention a woman by name and praise her for her work, for what God has done. God has called us to not only focus on the mission of God ourselves, but we are to do it with other people. Some of you right now, you've believed a lie that you can just do more if you just do it yourself. Some of you are D group leaders. And the most important thing you need to do right now is you need to find somebody to do it with. You need to find a coworker together to say, hey, I'm not just trying to make disciples myself. We're gonna do this together. We're gonna work together. It might take more time. It might take some more effort, but eventually you're multiplying yourself. You wanna know why Paul did this? Because Paul didn't care about as many people that he had sitting in a room. He cared about how many people he could send. For the glory of God so church hear me at Shirley Hills our aim is not to grow a church with the greatest seating capacity in America the way that we evaluate often which church is God moving in is well how many people go to your church how many how many are there for worship services can I tell you I think in a lot of ways we failed because we care more about our seating capacity than our sending capacity if we are working with others, then what's happening, we're training up others to serve God, and then we send them out. Then they go do what we're doing, and we redo the process. So let me ask you, who are you training up? Who are you working with? One of our, our deacons, uh, Shannon Thompson, in his testimony when he was given, when he was becoming a new deacon, he talked about how life-transforming it was for him for another person to invite him to come teach uh, youth with him. He thought, I can't do this. This is not me. I, I, I don't have that ability. Can I tell you? Man, he is one of the godliest, gifted men. Our church gods used him in an awesome way. Can I tell you how it happened? Because somebody said, hey, come serve with me. And as he served with somebody, he began to catch what they were doing, hearing what they were saying. He began to grow in the Lord. And now he's an unbelievable youth worker, a great deacon in our church, and God's using him in an awesome way. And it all started with somebody saying, hey, come serve with me. Who is serving with you? Who are you coming along and saying, hey, join me as we serve God together? Paul understood the power of serving with others, with others who are like him and with others who are different than him. I pray as a church that we would show people that there's power in the gospel. We're not just raising up a church of people like us, but a lot of people who are very different, who've been saved by the grace of God, filled with the spirit of God, and now live on mission for the glory of God. This is what we ought to be praying for. So he said, hey, you focus, on, you focus on the mission, you serve with others, but lastly, Paul begins to show an example of how he desired to not only get something from people, but how he desired to help others succeed. You see, our desire should not only be to serve with others, but our, our, our aim should be, God, how can we help others succeed? How do we help people succeed? I think it's important because the world would say you help people succeed by helping them gain financially and, and get all this other stuff. But as the church, we understand that success is found at the foot of the cross. So the way that we succeed is by bringing people to Jesus. They become a follower of Christ, and then they begin to grow in Christ, and then they begin to help others grow in Christ. And so then they become this follower of Christ who's helping other people follow Christ that will help other people follow Christ. It's a process. And it doesn't just stop at salvation. Our desire should be to help others succeed. If anybody could throw a pity party right here, Paul could do it. 
I mean, would anybody complain at all if Paul chose in the last few verses to throw a pity party? Please pray for my freedom. Please pray that I'll be released. Please pray for my prosperity so that I can be more faithful in doing what God's called me to do. Let me show you what he does in the last few words of this letter. In verse 15, he says, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. After this letter has been read at your gathering, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry that you've received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. In his last few words, what Paul desired to do was to help others succeed. Make sure not only that you read the letter, but get the letter to the Laodiceans. And the letter that I'm written to the Laodiceans, hey, you read that too. Hey, and don't forget Archippus. I want to make sure that he continues to take advantage of the ministry to which he's been called. His aim was to help other people succeed in advancing the mission of God. If he was going to be stuck in a jail cell, his aim was to help other people succeed. So let me ask you, are you helping other people succeed in advancing the mission of God? You know, Paul could have allowed his heart to shrink. Allowing our heart to shrink is what we do naturally when we've experienced hurt and loss and we go through difficulties. Think about it. When you are suffering and when you're hurting, what is natural for you to do is to pull away and to protect your heart. You just say, you know what? I can't help other people right now. I can't focus on others right now. I just kind of need to, to pull away. I just need to kind of come back here and I just need to protect myself. Some of you today... You're living life, and, and you've been hurt, you've gone through difficulty, and you're protecting yourself. But you know what happens? Over time, when you begin to protect yourself, you just kind of keep shrinking away. You just keep pulling back, and your heart just keeps, you just keep it tight. And you just kind of protect it. Because you've been hurt, and you don't want anybody else to hurt your heart. And so what happens is, over time, you just kind of fall back into oblivion. You didn't mean to fall away from the church. You didn't mean to fall away from being somebody that has a full heart for others, but you got hurt. You got hurt, and so now you're just trying to protect yourself. I mean, you're just, God, fix my heart. God, I just, I just want to protect it. You know what Paul does? Paul doesn't allow his heart to get small. Paul does the opposite. He opens his heart up, and he allows his heart to get full. And he says, hey, if these are my last days in jail, if these are my last days in a jail cell, then I want to make sure that every minister of the gospel is succeeding, and the church is thriving, and that I want to make sure that I'm loving and encouraging as many people as possible, because I want you to succeed. Church and leaders, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. There can be a tendency for us to use people for us to get what we want from them so that we can succeed. But the church does not exist to get things from people so that we can succeed. The church is, exists to give people something. We have something for you. Our desire is not to get something from you. We believe that in the gospel, there is joy and there is literally joy and, and peace and happiness forevermore in Christ. So the church exists to give something to people. Not to say we wanna take something from you. Some of you have been burned because you feel burned out because you didn't feel appreciated. Like, oh, you just wanted me so that you, know, you could have a good this or you could have a good that, and you've missed it. Paul is even showing, hey, I'm sending these people away from me. Don't you think Paul wanted some encouragement in jail? <laughs> Don't you think he wanted people with him to help him get through this difficult time? But what does he do? 
He sends them out and he says, no, you go strengthen the church. You go help the church succeed. In his last words to the church of, of Colossae, he shows his heart and his aim is to help other people succeed in advancing the mission of God. Do you have a full heart toward other people? Or have you been hurt and scarred in such a way that you can't focus on loving and helping others? Because Satan has got you so inwardly focused, you're just trying to fix your own heart. Are you ready? Here it is. The way you heal your heart is by opening your heart and helping others. We find healing in loving and helping other people. You've gone through scars and difficulties to be able to use that to help and encourage and, and advance the gospel and bring success in other people's life. Anything God has brought you through, it's now God wants to use that to work through you. Some of you right now, you've closed your heart off because you feel like that's the best thing for you. And what God is telling you to do is open your heart, help other people succeed. You see, it's not what we can get from people, but it's what we want for people. Church, hear me. Shirley Hills exist because of what we want for you. Man, we want you to know Jesus. We want you to walk in the fullness of Christ. We want you to enjoy him all the days of your life. And we want you to see the joy that is found when you lead somebody to Christ and you see them go from death to life and to know that God just used you to change not only their life, but their family's life forevermore because their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and one day when they breathe their last, they will spend an eternity with God and He used you and He worked through you. Oh man, there's nothing like it. I pray that we would know Him and here's how we do it, that we have a, a Christ-centered fellowship. Church, we focus on the mission. Are you focused on the mission that God has for you? We serve with others. Who are you serving with? What community of believers are you serving to advance the gospel? And we help others succeed. Who are you helping succeed in knowing Christ and making him known? Father, right now we have an opportunity to respond to the gospel. So Lord, we ask that you'd lead our church, guide us now, help us to be a people that make you known. And maybe right now the reality is we need to spend some time in prayer. Maybe for some of us, there just needs to be some confession, and we want to make sure that we're praying and watching and acting. Lord, as a people, we want to make sure that as we're praying, that we're focused. And, and Lord, there, there could be some of us, maybe even here, that man, we're not serving with anyone else. We're just trying to do it all by ourselves. God, give us a community of people to serve with. And as we do that, God, help us to love others, to open our heart, to help others succeed. And God, as we do that, Lord, we'll glorify you. We'll be a church that's truly Christ-centered. Help us to make you the center of all we do. Lead us now. God, maybe today there's someone here who doesn't know you. God, right now I pray that it'd be the day of their salvation. There's no better day than right now. They wouldn't leave this place. They'd get up out of their pew and say, I'm ready to follow Jesus. What do I need to do? Maybe there's someone in here that knows they know you, but they're not really following you. Today can be a day of life change. Maybe for some, They've lost focus. God, bring us back into focus. Lord, we love you. Lead us now. Help us in this time to respond to the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand with us. We're going to sing together as a body of Christ. Our altar is going to be open. Our pastors are going to be down front. If you'd like to come and pray, come pray. Maybe you'd like to join the church. We're going to be down here. We'd love to help you. But if you don't know Christ as Savior and Lord, there's no better day than right now. You guys come. Let's worship the Lord together.